This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, everyone. Yes, it's another is, show. Uh, it's another day. And it it's is. absolutely stunning. And it's hot. Stunning. Hot, hot, hot. It is. Are you sweaty? No, I'm not sweaty. I mean. It's just hot. It's hot outside. That's it's summer. It's, it's good air. It's good time. It is. Does it feel weird as you get older, like still to work during the summer? Because I just think of how how great it was when you were younger and you had a whole summer off during college or during high school. Are you wishing you were 20 something again? I'm just going through my Peter Pan syndrome. Why? No, I mean, I, don't think I, I would just ever think about that. Back. I, I have always thought about like, oh, if I knew what I knew now. Um, and like went back to high oh, school. Oh, yeah, what would be different? What, how life would just change. Um, but for the most part, ugh, I don't really want to experience that again. I'm just looking at the time off, like the like how long your Christmas vacation was. I'm just like, wow, we really created balance, which did not prepare us how long was yours? for ad- our adult lives. I don't know. Some of them before college, like it was like a month once. What? Like a month vacation. Are you sure Christmas it wasn't vacation. like two weeks and it just probably. felt like a month? Because that's like probably summer, what that was. It was like two months. You can live an entire life. Like you had an entire relationship. You'd go to camp. You'd become a new person. You'd get a new wardrobe. Well, and- summer break is normally about like two months for sure. Yeah. But like Christmas break was only like two weeks for me. Two weeks. And then before co- we have a different education system in Canada. Yeah. However, yeah, it just yeah. got me thinking. It really didn't set us up for success as adults because you're giving kids so much free time well that's not the way it is in the real world so what you want kids to be working at a sweatshop <laughs> so they can understand at a very young age that this is not real life put those kids to work people i mean and then it's an easier transition to adulthood <laughs> that's what i'm saying wow shira's gonna put her kids to work immediately Watch social out. media is not work <laughs> I mean, you never know. It could Kidding. be. It could, I'm not going to be one of those. Social media streets. <laughs> well, we got lots coming up, including, I, I think this topic is really interesting. I'm excited to talk about this. Why we put ourselves down and how to get out of that cycle. That's at 3.35 p.m. Pacific, 6.35 p.m. Eastern. Plus, what will happen with evictions across the U.S.? This is on everyone's minds. The eviction moratorium. We've got some answers for that in 15 minutes. Let's well, get it. What? The breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah, the Cuomo news. You're about oh, to yeah, I'm about it. to get into yeah. it. Yeah, that's, let's get into some what's trending this hour. News. Governor Andrew Cuomo spoke to the people about his sexual harassment allegations and revealed this, among many other things, this awkward montage of him t- touching people to prove he's been doing this, the same thing to everyone for ages. Here's a moment from that. 
I've lived my entire adult life in public view. That is just not who I am. I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed, there are hundreds, if not thousands of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone, black and white, young and old, straight and LGBTQ, powerful people, friends, strangers, people who I meet on the street. So he's referencing this gesture where, and he says his mom used to do it, where he takes like your face in between his hands and he's like, ooh, kind of like that. You know, when, when your granny's like, oh, did you precious, and puts your face He in touches them without their consent. Not, it's not, don't try to the innocent, I was explaining make it an innocent what he situation was referencing. like it's someone's granny. He's no one's grandfather in, in public settings. And now President Biden has actually said that uh, he did call on him to resign. We'll explain exactly what he said in 30 minutes oh, with I the Washington Post. Oh, well, why don't you... F- Stick around for that in 30 minutes because we're going to dive into like what's happening. Is he going to resign all that? What's happening, though, in entertainment news right now, Ryan? Oh, my God. Jason Momoa um, got really pissed off in a New York Times interview where he shut down a journalist after what he calls was an icky question. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Jason Momoa was asked whether he regretted performing sexual assault scenes in Game of Thrones. And um, here's the thing. He said this. Well, it's important to depict Drogo and his style. You're playing someone that's like uh, Genghis Khan or Genghis Khan. It was really, it was a really, really hard thing to do. But my job was to play something like that. And it's not a nice thing. And it's what that character was. It's not my job to go, would I not do it? He also added, I've never really been questioned about, do you regret playing a role? We'll put it this way. I already did it. Not doing it again. And here's the really interesting thing. After he was asked about that, Mm -hmm. his whole mood changed. He started responding in short answers, being kind of flippant. At the end of the interview, though, he did bring it back up, uh, telling the journalist this um, about that question that he did not like. He said, it just feels icky, putting it upon me to remove something, as if an actor even had the choice to do that. We're not really allowed to do anything. The, there are producers, there are writers, there are directors, and you don't get to come in and be like, I'm not going to do that because it isn't culture right, kosher right now and not right in the political climate. That never happens. So it's a question that feels icky, and I just wanted you to know that. I, I let all right. So if you just said that felt icky, it didn't feel good. Like that, that didn't feel like I didn't feel comfortable with you asking me that question. Although I get it, I would. I feel like he could have just ended it there. Him saying I don't have a choice because in the end, of course, you're an actor. You could say like you're not choose. You're not. Um, you know, you can't control the script and all that. But you are choosing what you want to be part of. And if there's something that's problematic, but back then, Game of Thrones, so many we things got, happened, so many storylines. So if right? we want to discuss this a little bit later on yeah, in the show, we, we have a four minute. Let's get into it. Because I do have some thoughts as well. Um, short thought right here is 
I just wanted to throw this out there. When he originally played that character, he did make a weird joke about him being able to play a role that was that was able to sexually assault oh, beautiful well, women. Gross. And he's quoted saying it. But we'll dive in more what? later this hour uh, for our little four-minute convo. That's your T-Report. I got more stuff coming up this, well, next hour, actually. Okay. Well, next, as the moratorium ends, what will be done to help millions of renters who might be kicked to the curb? What the White House is planning next. One, I've sought out constitutional scholars to determine what is the best possibility that would come from executive action or the CDC's judgment. What could they do that was most likely to pass muster constitutionally? The bulk of the constitutional scholarship says that it's not likely to pass constitutional muster. So that was President Biden today responding to questions around the eviction moratorium that ended Saturday and puts millions of renters in just a horrible spot. It continues to come up. So where will we land now? Tyler Pager joins us right now, White House reporter at The Washington Post, who was there during this uh, press conference. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So where do things currently stand at this point? It seems like Democrats and Republicans are at odds with each other still around this. Yeah, so, um, you know, until just a few hours ago, the, uh, there was kind of a standstill as progressive Democrats were irate with the White House for not doing more um, to prevent the, the expiration of this moratorium. But, uh, you know, the Post just broke the news uh, a little bit ago and Biden confirmed in, in, his, um, in his press conference that they're going to announce a new um, targeted and limited moratorium on evictions. Um, and so that's, you know, a huge win for progressive Democrats who had been calling for Biden to take action to prevent millions of people from being evicted. Well, at this point, do you think Biden really had a choice? Because I, I know um, in reports, liberal Democrats have really, especially progressive Democrats, have been feeling like they've been kind of taken for granted. Why are they feeling that way? Um, so, you know, they were extremely frustrated that the White House did not take a more proactive approach to dealing with this issue. They felt they were blindsided by a notification at the end of last week that the House, the Congress had to take action on this issue. Um, and and so, you know, there was led by Representative Cory Bush sleeping outside the Capitol to draw attention to this issue. Um, and, and they felt that, you know, this was something that Biden had the authority to do to executive order, to executive action. Um, and, and the White House was kind of playing defense, saying that they tried to find the legal authority to do so yesterday at the White House press briefing. Gene Sperling, uh, the American Rescue Plan coordinator, talked through all the various options that they tried. But it seemed like, you know, today there was a, a big change in that they found ways to take new steps. The CDC is expected to announce this new uh, moratorium, you know, imminently. And, and I think that's a big win Um for the progressives and, and for Democrats and, and for millions of people that were um, threatened to be evicted. Definitely. But it seems like this is just a Band-Aid. It's not re- really sustainable. Are we going to continue to have to go through this? I mean, this is traumatic, I think, for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, I think that is, you know, there's two issues at hand. One is the most immediate issue about this eviction ban, but two is the larger issue of, you know, homelessness and um, uh, and, and one of the things that Gene Spilling said yesterday at the White House was, you know, there is not a national 
infrastructure in place to prevent these types of evictions from happening. And it's something that they can just flip the switch and change overnight. And, and so I think that is one of the challenges more long-term looking at these issues of evictions. Short-term, I think one of the, the issues here was that, you know, the, the reemergence of the Delta variant. So I think there was a hope that the country would be, you know, fully resuming normalcy as we move into the fall, as vaccinations uh, continue to increase and, and people are protected. But but the rise of the variant um, and 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 the vaccine hostility from, you know, more than 30 per more than uh, right now, where 30 percent of adult Americans have not received at least one shot of the coronavirus vaccine. And so the combination of those two things has made it so that the world can't reopen or at least the country can't um, in, in a meaningful way that, you know, the economy can t- continue to recover. And so, right. you know, it's unclear how much longer they're going to be able to extend this both legally, but also from, you know, a political perspective, how much more they want to do that as the virus. Hopefully uh, the administration these hopes that, that it, you know, they can get it back under control. Well, Tyler, break down how the Supreme Court is kind of involved in this, because I know White House officials were saying that their hands were tied by a recent Supreme Court ruling. Can you break that down, what that really means? Yeah, so there was a, a ruling where um, the Supreme Court uh, signaled that they would not um, be supportive of um of extending these emergency protections any longer. But there was a lot of dispute about whether that was a binding resolution. Um, it, it came down to Justice Brett Kavanaugh and his concurrent opinion in a 5-4 decision. And, and, and whether he was exactly referring to future decisions or, or, you know, future rules or current rules. And so there's a lot of debate over how that, and, and the president just addressed this a little bit ago where he said he spoke to constitutional scholars and there's debate and dispute about whether or not they have the authority to do it. It seems that, or Biden suggested, it seems that they have found a way to, you know, uh, institute a new and narrow moratorium, but it, it remains to be seen whether something like that will be held up in court and we're expecting uh, legal action from the, you know, some of the same groups that sued the first time to end this, end this moratorium. Um, and, and that will work its way through the courts. Okay, well, uh, thank you. That was Tyler Pager, White House reporter at The Washington Post. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Next up, could Cuomo be resigning over sexual assault allegations? We'll be explaining what is happening in New York next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. 
Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. To resign? Yes. And if he doesn't resign, do you believe he should be impeached and removed from office? Let's take one thing at a time. Okay, well, that was a big one from President Biden saying that, you know, if all these um, sexual assault and harassment allegations against Governor Andrew Cuomo are true, that he should resign, which makes sense. And already New York Attorney General Letitia James announced an investigation into Governor Andrew Cuomo's sexual harassment claims. Joining us right now is Aaron Durkin, a reporter for Politico in New York. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So what do you think about all this latest stuff to come out today and Biden's response to all of this? Yeah, so Biden is just the latest person to call on Governor Cuomo to resign after uh, the attorney general released a report from an investigation today that was very damning, found credible evidence that the governor sexually harassed 11 women, including uh, non-consensual groping and touching of multiple women. Um, and so what's happening right now is the state assembly is moving um, more and more towards impeaching him. There have been calls for months for his resignation, um, although not from the president until until today because he was waiting on this report. Um, but there have been calls for months for his resignation, and he's just refused to step down. But what's happening right now is the state assembly speaker said, you know, uh, he can no longer remain in office, so it looks like they are getting very serious about impeaching him. Well, with impeachment, do you think there'll be any other, like, criminal kind of, like, it, it, will he be prosecuted? Well, the Albany District Attorney um, apparently is reviewing some evidence um, in this that, um, with regards to the executive assistant who alleged uh, that he groped her breast at the executive mansion in Albany. Um, He is reviewing evidence in that case, so that is a possibility. Um, The attorney general's investigation was not criminal in nature, so she said essentially that her work is done and that it would be up to any individual uh, prosecutors, district attorneys um, who wanted to pick up and pursue any uh, charges. And now Cuomo responded to these claims referencing a way that he touches people and it's something that his, you know, his mom had done. What is the overall sentiment about where this could land? And like, what did you think about that response? Well, I mean, his response, he's sort of uh, combining a few different tactics in defense of himself. He's, he's essentially defiant here and saying that he's not going to resign. Um, he is expressing some degree of remorse uh, in particular with regards to one accuser, Charlotte Bennett saying that, you know, he thought that he was sort of being kind and being a fatherly figure. And now he realizes that he made her uncomfortable and he's sorry about that. Um, But the other allegations in the report uh, now corroborated and found by the investigators to be to be accurate. uh, He is denying um, or he is brushing off and saying, oh, yes, you know, I kissed people. I touched people, you know, kissed on the cheek and hugged people. Um, but that it was, you know, in his view, harmless and that it was not intended to be sexual. In fact, you know, in this defense of himself from his attorney that he released today, 
uh, a good bulk of it was just pictures of either himself hugging and kissing people or other political figures hugging and kissing people. So he somehow sees this as a defense. Um, but it becomes a little difficult. In other incidents, he just outright denied, you know, the, the groping and inappropriate touching of people, he just outright denied. It becomes a little difficult when you have 11 women um, yeah. who are making what, is, what sound to be credible allegations to, to defend yourself, because in one or two or a handful of cases, maybe it was misinterpreted or they just made it up because of a political motivation or there was a financial motivation. But when it's one after another, and now it's 11 that are documented, uh, it's a little difficult to get out from under that. Okay, final question. We only have about 10 minutes left. 10 seconds. Uh, 10 seconds left. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I really want to know, fast forward, if he does get impeached, who's, like, next? Who's the next Mm -hmm. governor? What what comes after this? Yeah, sure. So it's Kathy Hochul, who's the lieutenant governor, who would be next in line. And she actually, today, for the first time, came out and said that this behavior of his was was, uh, unacceptable uh, and is now no longer uh, defending. Uh, Well, that was Aaron Durkin, reporter for Politico in New York. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Next up, Jason Momoa shut down an interview after an icky question from a reporter. What they asked and who was actually in the wrong here? We're debating it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So we spoke about this a bit in the T-Report, but we wanted to dive in more because we all had lots to talk about around Jason Momoa shutting down the journalist after what he called was an icky question. Are you weren't going to let me explain it? Oh, yes. Oh, I would love that. Nope. I don't want to anymore. Makes my life easier. I don't want to anymore. (laughs) So he was asked, Momoa, was asked whether he regretted performing, uh, just to catch you up, a sexual assault scene in Game of Thrones. Can you give me some context? Because I didn't watch Game of Thrones like, but I feel like His a lot of things character was a delicious, happen. strong man who um, who was awful, actually, to be quite honest. He is really awful. The character is awful because he uh, sexually assaults, um, uh, what's her name's character? Girl, the girl with the dragon. He, uh, wow. Was it a younger character? Yeah, too? she was younger. She was kind of sold to him, arranged marriage. Okay. And yeah, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, one. Danny. Is it? Well, thank you. Targaryen. Okay. The dragons. I feel like Game of Thrones in general touched on a lot of problematic things, but that was kind of like it's part of it. But like, I don't know. Like, what are your what's your take on it now? And was it wrong for him to say yes to a character like that? And was that inappropriate for the New York Times writer to ask him that? Here's the thing. I don't think it was inappropriate for that writer, that journalist, to ask him, oh, have you been able to reflect on your past yeah. characters that you said yes or no to? I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with that. Um, I I do find it interesting. Um, it does kind of fall back on the director or the creators of the people who are writing the content. Yes, it does. My thing is the reason why I said, you know, Jason Momoa kind of shot himself in the foot when he, years ago, when he first initially got the role, he was doing press around that role, and he told a news outlet that he was um, happy that he got to, it was actually quoted this, uh, but trigger warning, quoted saying that he was excited, like happy that he was able to rape beautiful women, right? His character was able to do that. And that's a little weird. 
<laughs> that's okay. a little that's a little weird. Yeah, that's um and so the act the idea that he felt like um you know, after saying a statement like that, that he couldn't be questioned again about, well, how have you been able to reflect on that, right? I think there has to be a reflection period for people as times change, as things evolve, to be like, well, would you take it now or would you kind of, has your mindset changed on it? And I don't really like how his attitude shifted and changed because of a question that he didn't like. You're still kind of doing your job um, and the journalist is doing their job. So I don't know. It's a, it's a little weird, to be honest. Like, I, yeah, I get it being icky. It's, it's a question that makes you feel uncomfortable. In the end, you can't go back, but you could say definitely you're, you've changed in terms of what you, de- you would decide to take on, right? But Game of Thrones was an epic show. I mean, are people going to not like it anymore because of where we're at in the world? No, most people actually, it was really interesting online, on social, we're going to wrap up soon, but uh, most people were actually saying they wanted the journalist to be fired for asking that because we can't blame the actor for playing a role. But you can kind of blame someone for taking a role. It's kind of like if you're, if someone who is, you know, you know, honestly, like the conversation we've seen around someone playing a trans person who's not trans or someone who's like, you know, doing these, weird, I don't know, playing roles that they should maybe double think about and, and, and think about like how, the repercussions of things. Yeah, impacting your own legacy. I, I think that's okay and to I, think about. And I think that, yeah, some, first, in some cases, blame, like the Scarlett Johansson moments. Yeah. In this case, it's like okay to have a conversation and reflect on something. I think that we need to make differentiate that as well. Uh, well, let us know what you think about all of this at LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. But next up, Formula One Racing's recent move against the LGBTQ plus community, what they said to a bunch of drivers next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. Of course, we've got more music for you all here on Channel Q, as well as the news you need to know to stay up to date and informed. And coming up, do you put yourself down? We're going to be sharing tips on how to treat yourself with kindness in 30 minutes. My question is going to be about that is what if you have like, you know, what's that word that I'm looking for? Like when you're kind of self-deprecating humor. That's a um, defense mechanism too. Is it? Or is it just a part of who a person could be? A mixture. It could be a funny used... part of like, you know, making a joke of yourself can actually course, be really funny. But the, uh, yeah, we'll talk more about that because I'm sure our expert has some thoughts. Plus one pop star is coming out about his drug use. That's in the T-Report in a moment. Yes, but we really are going to discuss the the term California sober because I have a problem with it. Okay, that's uh, in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Senator Rand Paul complained about YouTube removing his video recently, and here's why. I shared a video on my YouTube page. It was an interview between myself and a journalist where we discussed a variety of topics, including the science behind wearing masks. Apparently, because I dared to contradict Dr. Fauci and the government, YouTube has removed my video. If you want to see the video, it's up on rumble.com. Rumble.com does not censor the news. YouTube said the video violated their policy because of my comments on masks and that they don't allow videos that contradict government's guidance on COVID. Amidst all of this, of course, Paul has been a huge part of the misinformation during the pandemic across social, including his uh, accusing Fauci of funding research that led to COVID-19. So I guess he thought maybe YouTube won't take this down, like flag me like Twitter or Facebook, but he was wrong. Yeah, we have to stop. (sighs) 
saying that, you know, he, just like Dr. Fauci said and told Rand Paul to his face, he has no clue what he's talking about. And it's not a, a thing of if it's his opinion or not, and they have a differencing of opinions. It's about science, and Rand Paul, last time I checked, was not Dr. Fauci or Bill Nye, the science guy. So I really don't want to hear from him. It's about cred- credible information and taking responsibility for what you're sharing, yeah. Yeah. Now, British Formula One driver Lewis Hamilton has come to the defense of German driver Sebastian Vettel for not removing a t-shirt in support of LGBTQ plus rights before the national anthem was played at the Hungarian uh, Grand Prix. It said Grind Prix. (laughs) It's Grand Prix in Budapest over the weekend. Uh, Vettel and several other drivers were actually reprimanded by the league. The four-time world champion driver wore a rainbow-colored t-shirt on Sunday that read Same Love, and other drivers and his teammate were reprimanded for not removing their t-shirts that read we race as one it comes from a program started by the racing league last year that supports diversity inclusivity and sustainability and formula one drivers can wear the t-shirts and other apparel that is connected to the initiative but drivers were told that they must take it off before the national anthem was played once so that's uh what happened and now it's being reported everywhere and we'll see if they change their rules And finally, an officer died after being stabbed today at a transit station outside the Pentagon, and a suspect was shot by law enforcement and died at the scene. A Pentagon announcement said the facility was on lockdown due to police activity. That has been lifted except for the area around the crime scene, and more is being released as they get the information because they are investigating what actually happened. And that was so much trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so the latest celebrity who admits to being California sober has spoken out. Um, It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So The weekend has made a lifestyle change. Um, Basically, he did an interview with GQ, and he explained that he's given up hard drugs. Yay! Uh, That's a cool moment for him. He said this, I like like sober light. Um, That's what he calls sobriety, noting that he drinks occasionally. He says, I'm not a heavy drinker as much as I used to be. The romance of drinking isn't there, he added. Now, he did say he still smokes weed, but when asked if he does other drugs, he replied, no. He said, drugs were a crutch. It was me thinking that I needed it and not doing the work to figure out how not to need it. And I've spent the last few years realizing that and thanking God that I don't need it because for a lot of people, it's hard to shake it. But I knew I didn't want it. Um, so he also kind of goes on talking to, to talk about like there's this new phrase. I don't know if this phrase is new, but for me, it's new. California sober. I'm not really sure how I feel about it because it's just like you're not really sober because you're still doing drugs. And so for me, I just don't know if it it it's can like natural. People. So you know, this is what it is. It's like nature sober, which means I only take things is that, that nature not creates. a slap in the face to people who are actually struggling with their sobriety. It might be. That's my that's my only thing about it. I think it because Demi Lovato said something about it. But it's a, now, maybe so sobriety is a spectrum weird. as well. Is it? I think so. Oh, interesting. That could be a thing. Well, that's we are being talking about, about soberness, um, da- like down in, in the show more, right? Aren't we, producer Vanessa? Yeah. So maybe I can hour. I can ask about their thoughts about California sober. That's your tea report because we're running late. Sorry, guys. Well, next up, we're going to be talking about boundaries when it comes to the BIPOC community and what that all means. That's next. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. 
You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. July was BIPOC Mental Health Month, but this discussion is something that's relevant to our lives, obviously, daily, as we see high-profile names like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles speak up about their mental health and boundaries. It brings up definitely a larger conversation that needs to be had. And joining us right now is Dr. Rita Walker, a licensed clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Houston. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me for this conversation. Yeah, so why is it important to look at boundaries differently for the BIPOC community? Well, I think first and foremost, we have to be aware of the level of burden and distress and anxiety that disproportionately affects that community. And so when individuals are already carrying a lot of weight, it's that it's that much more important to be aware of, you know, additional threats or additional this sorts of distraction and additional stressors because of the disproportionate weight that already preexists. Really hate the word BIPOC, um, but <laughs> I really do just as I, 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 yeah, anyway, I've talked about it on the show and as a black queer person, it's just stupid. Um, but I do think it's interesting and I would love to know your perspective on why do you think it's been difficult um, for, I mean, us to really feel like we can speak up and set our boundaries? Why oftentimes do you think when we get into spaces and we we make it into the room, we feel uncomfortable with setting boundaries? What's interesting that you mentioned getting into the room, right? Because that in and of itself is a challenge and there are so few in the room. And so once you arrive, you know, mama, I've, I've made it. You know, once you get there, the idea that you might uh, disclose or um, acquiesce to some perceived weakness really just isn't an option. So I, I know that even in my own family, we learned that you had to work twice as hard to get half as far. And so that becomes ingrained in many, many cultural groups. And so when it's time to actually take care of one's own, you know, well-being or mental health, you just got to push through because mm-hmm. you're representing not just your individual self, but an entire community. And you don't get a chance to take time off or, or just have a bad day. It, it just doesn't even seem like an option. Yeah. And so what advice, I mean, I think there's advice needed for both sides, like advice for those um, who are in, and not to use the word BIPOC again, in the BIPOC community. Uh, But then also I would say allies or accomplices and those who want to support their friends and colleagues so that they can create safe space for them to create these boundaries as well. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I actually, I saw a TikTok video recently that explicitly said, don't express, you know, sadness or shock or any of those things in the hallway after the meeting. That whenever you have an opportunity in the moment to speak up, as an example, on behalf of someone who may be being marginalized in that moment or discriminated against in that moment, speak up in that moment. Be brave 
on behalf of individuals who otherwise may not feel like they have the voice to do so. It has to happen right away. I, you mentioned that um, culturally, um, how you grew up, you were told that, you know, we have to, um, you know, get into work twice as hard to get into certain spaces. I do wonder, um, do you think you'll we'll start, especially as boundaries and we're having more of these conversations about boundaries as newer generations get older and start having kids, especially black um, black kids or black folks and, and POC people, indigenous folks, we start to set those boundaries. Do you think that narrative will change um, if, you know, the system changes, even though I, even that is kind of based off of a systemic thing that we feel that way? <laughs> but do you think that we have some type of responsibility to maybe reimagine that narrative to, to give us more hope to, to, to fight that, I guess? I don't know. Well, I, I think so, as demonstrated by, you know, what Naomi, the, the, her decision, um, you know, what Simone did on an incredibly, an incredibly large uh, platform that they made a decision for themselves. And so I think, you know, those are anecdotes, but I think that's demonstration. I do just think in general, just talking to, um, you know, younger folks that, that there are dis- different kinds of decisions being made. There's a different level of awareness. And that's why I'm glad you all are having this conversation, because with with awareness, people start to make different kinds of decisions. It's one of the reasons that I wrote my book, just so that individuals can be aware of some of the things that we have done on autopilot that really are problematic for our emotional well-being. Give us first steps. What's that first step of setting your boundary? Well, first step is being aware, because again, so many of us just kind of push through, and we aren't even honest about how we're actually doing, where we actually are, you know, how overwhelmed we are, how depressed or how anxious we are. So we first have to be aware of how we are feeling in our own bodies. Like, we can't wait for an emotional breakdown, which is what I hear from some people. Well, I'm not having a nervous breakdown, so I must be okay. No, that can't be the threshold. So first have a step of sense of awareness, and then, you know, if that individual doesn't feel like they have the wherewithal to make change in their life, maybe talk to a friend or family member or whomever. And if they feel like those individuals can't be supportive, then it may be time to seek help from a mental health professional. Well, thank you so much for being here for this. We appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm glad I could. And that was Dr. Rita Walker, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, professor at the University of Houston. Where can people get your book? What is it called? The book is The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. It's everywhere you buy books. It's in um, paperback, audio, whatever platform individuals use to buy their book. Um, to buy books, it's, it is available. That's so great. Thank you so much again. Next up, do you put yourself down? Well, we're going to be sharing tips on how to treat yourself with kindness. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Have you noticed how easy it is to put yourself down? It's easier than lifting yourself up, right? Well, we're going to be talking about how to shift the ideas we feed our minds right now with Oslam Iduka, professor of psychology at University of California at Berkeley, who studies emotional regulation and self-reflection. Welcome to the show. Um, hi, thanks for having me. So when is emotional chatter like that chatter you have in your head when is there when is it healthy and when can it possibly be toxic and how do you differentiate that uh i mean chatter can be toxic when it's constant and negative in tone um and the reason for that is you know our negative emotions are um um, meant to be adaptive they uh, kind of prepare us for action 
Mm-hmm. Um, if we're angry, we're, you know, trying to um, eliminate obstacles that we face um, in attaining a goal, for example. Um, when we're threatened, when we're fearful, there is some threat to our survival and we need to engage in fight or flight. So all these kind of emotion systems serve a function um, when there's a good reason. But if we keep up the negative emotions like anger, um, um, anxiety, stress, Mm -hmm. by ruminating about these um, um, possible threats in our heads, we don't let ourselves, particularly our bodies and our minds, to rest and recover. Right, the system is kind of evolved to respond to immediate threats and stresses, and then to to, to deactivate and relax and recover. So, by constantly engaging in negative um, chatter, we're um, uh, short circuiting that what is meant to be an adaptive system. You know, I think a lot of times what's missing with these conversations or conversations like these are the 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 realistic moments of understanding that this the negative voices can be very hard to just shake or get rid of and I, I I know that we have these moments where we're you know encouraging people not to talk down to themselves, but I think what's always missing is, and what I wonder is why is it so hard when you are trying to even if you have the tools that you need and you're trying to push yourself out of that negative chatter, why is it why does it seem like the negativity is a lot stronger than the positivity that you're trying to kind of help yourself with? Well, I mean, it's again a basic principle in <laughs> Human emotions, because negative emotions, negative stimuli have more um, survival value. So we have, um, you know, inbred systems that prioritize negative stimuli and negative emotions over positive stimuli and positive emotions in some ways. Um, They stay longer. We pay attention to them at a more unconscious and automatic level. um, And they carry more information. Um, so there's an imbalance to, to start with. Um, and once you are uh, in negative mood, it's true also for positive mood, we call it mood in a congruent processing. If you're thinking, if you start thinking negatively, those negative thoughts activate in your mind other negative thoughts, those uh, second order negative thoughts activate, you link it to other negative memories and it turns into a, a vicious cycle. That's why it's very difficult to um, to get out of because it maintains itself. And what's the balance between, you know, shifting and then um, and then also just allowing yourself to feel because that's where toxic positivity comes in and not learning how to actually like feel like it's okay to feel and I talk about this with my boyfriend just don't unpack there so what do you think about that balance and and what people should do well I think we know that like avoiding negative emotions trying not to feel negative emotions is not very adaptive at least in the long term because by not accepting First of all, we are, you know, by trying to wait, we are not fully getting rid of it because our minds and bodies are trying, like working hard to push those away. So that's still work. 
for our mind and body. Um, but also because by not working through those events, those emotions, uh, we're making ourselves vulnerable to feel the same way when we are forced to face those situations again, either by reminders of what happened or, you know, similar, something similar happens, you know, tomorrow. So what we do need to do is, I think, while we don't um, reject those emotions, we need to process them in such a way that we can change the meaning of Ooh. the situation yes. that elicits it. I love that. I want to reframe it. I want to take a a break and talk about how do we reframe and how do we process so we can start treating ourselves with kindness. And I think this is something we all go through and this could benefit a lot of people right now. So we're going to get into that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Aslam Iduk, a professor of psychology at University of California, Berkeley, who studies emotional regulation and self-reflection. As we all work to make ourselves better, I think we're all trying to do that. Um, And it can be difficult when we're stuck in a cycle of negativity. Um, So we talked a bit about that earlier before the break. So how do you reframe things and how do you process them and move into treating yourself with more kindness? Yeah, so um, uh, there are a couple of um, um, techniques that you can use to reframe um, one of them is, for example, expressive writing. There is a pretty large literature in social psychology that shows that by writing about negative experiences, um, we can actually make meaning and therefore shelf them away. So the reason why we keep ruminating or kind of going over negative stuff, um, uh, you know, um, um, endlessly is when we actually don't understand what's happening, right? We don't have a narrative. So we're kind of constantly trying to make a narrative that we feel comfortable with that then we can put on the shelf and, you know, hopefully never come back. So writing allows you to, over time, repeated writing allows you to come up with that narrative, um, another technique that you can use that um, um, I and my collaborator, Ethan Cross from University of Michigan, have studied um, over the last 10 years, is called self-distancing. So basically, you try to adopt a different perspective on the self that is different from this current self that's feeling anger or anxiety or stress. How can you do that? There are, you know, different, again, um, uh, techniques. One is if you're thinking about a past event, what your boyfriend said, you know, the night before that's pissing you off. You know, you can visualize that as if you are a fly on the wall. You watch yourself go through that experience, right? So that kind of like what we find in our research is it gives people enough of a distance um, to be able to see themselves and the situation a little bit more objectively and in a broader context. That then allows them to kind of say, you know what, okay, I understand. Another technique that we've studied is um, called um, distance self-talk. So typically we use first-person pronouns, obviously, to think about ourselves, to talk about ourselves. Um, but the phenomenon we try to capitalize on is, you know, when a friend comes to you for advice, 
it's usually very much easier for you to see what they need to do. But mm-hmm. if you are in that situation yourself, then it's much harder to sort through your emotions, see the big picture, because we're the one who is under threat. So by shifting the pronouns that we use to refer to the self in that internal monologue, what we're trying to do is kind of trick your mind to think as if you are somebody else, as if you're giving advice or working through your problem um, as if it's somebody else's problem. So that kind of um, uh, minimizes all the self-biases and and kind of threat-related processes that get activated when we're in in a negative uh, emotional state. So instead of saying, you know, uh, why do I why do I always make the same mistake? Yeah. I say, why is she doing the same thing? What 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 is going on with Oz? And that talk, yourself, talk about yourself in of, third person. Got it. But we, only yep. during introspection, not in actual conversation, okay. because that's a whole other whole, well, whole other thing. Well, we just got a, yeah, a exactly. lesson. I feel like we just got like a little bit of a, a version of your class. We appreciate you for being here. And hopefully uh, this helped some uh, folks out. Sure. My pleasure. That was Aslam Iduk, a professor of psychology at University of California at Berkeley, who studies emotional regulation and self-reflection. Now coming up on the thank show. You. Yeah, thank you so much. Next up, what every car made after 2027 might have to detect if you are drunk driving. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome back to the show. And coming up, we are talking about how to be uh, enjo- I was gonna say, how to be the sober person at a party with your friends and enjoy it. We're here to help. That's in 30 minutes. Plus, in the T report, we're gonna be getting into Wayne Brady and a voicemail that has been leaked and why it's getting a lot of attention in a moment. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki called out Florida and Texas governors whose states account for one third of all new COVID cases in the entire country. You will hear the president convey later. If you are not going to be a part of the solution, if you're not going to be a part of saving people's lives, then get out of the way and let other people do the job. Get out of the way. Uh, That means don't ban, uh, don't make it harder for people to put requirements on masks or asking for vaccination status. I love, they were like, what do you mean? Like, are you trying to say that you're encouraging physical violence? You're like, no, we're just like, let people do their job. Come on. Now, after pausing her participation in Tokyo 2020 Olympics for mental health, Simone Biles returned for the women's balance beam final. And she finished with a smile and a bronze medal. She said, I didn't expect a medal today, and I just wanted to go out there for me, and that's what I did. So congrats to her for that. And finally, this is really interesting, buried deep in the infrastructure bill. And this was discovered and released in an article in vice.com. There's a provision that mandates all cars manufactured from 2027 onwards to be equipped with a drunk driver monitoring system. And they're hoping to end drunk driving that still results in 10,000 deaths in the U.S. every year. So if passed with this provision... Your car would be able to detect a blood alcohol level above the legal limit, and then you wouldn't be allowed to drive, but you could remain 
in the car and it would be powered up for climate control or to charge your phone. So imagine that all cars 2027 onwards would have this. Interesting. It kind of, oh, wow. It's intense. I mean, if that's what we need to do to stop people from doing but dumb stuff, yeah. then it's like, one, Uber yourself home or just, you know, know the law and know how it can impact others and, and you. So I think this is actually pretty smart. That was what's trending this hour. So what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Wayne Brady, um, if you didn't know, oh my God, Wayne Brady's going through some stuff right now. It's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. Um, Wayne Brady just confirmed reports that he was a target of a racist expo- uh, exp- Oh, what's that word? Expletive? Yeah. Yeah, right? Is that the right? It's like bad words. Yeah, like of course, but that's I'm saying it right, right? Expletive? filled voicemail. So um, basically this disturbing rant was left at CBS Studios in Los Angeles where he hosts um, um, Let's Make a Deal. Well, the message was turned over to the Los Angeles Police Department according to TMZ and uh, he actually is reacting to the whole thing. Um, Here's what he's saying. He said, I'm not mad. I'm actually happy that we can talk about this. Uh, TMZ actually posted audio of the message in which the caller, who is a man, repeatedly called Brady an effing N-word, which is awful. Um, He says this, uh, Wayne Brady says, I don't care what that dude has to say. You think that the best insult that you can come up with is to level that word, that piece of vitriol, that hate? You think that's clever? You think that's something that any black person walking in this country right now hasn't heard? You are the least of my worries. You can kiss my butt. I don't know if I can say the other word. But um, yeah, Brady, he also added that it's a shame that we live in a world where people feel like they can say whatever they want, but he's not losing sleep over the message. In fact, he hopes that this will spark a bigger conversation. The police department, however, is involved. Uh, They're looking into the message that um, CBS security filed um, a report. And so, yeah, we're going to see law enforcement is telling TMZ that the cops determined that the voicemail didn't rise to the level of a crime. Um, which is intense, but I, I, it's unfortunate. It does kind of come with the territory. Unfortunately, although I think territory or not, people are still doing this shameful and horrific stuff. Are you kidding me? We got a caller like a couple weeks ago when you were out mm. that called in to tell me how racist I was. And, and That's tried verbal to... abuse, though. How is that not <laughs> like that? I know we, t- you know, the legal um, area of these things, right? Like, how is it not? Like, illegal. If that's verbal abuse, isn't that illegal? No, I mean, it's intense. It's intense, but it's sad what, um, you know, uh, entertainers of color have to kind of go through during this journey. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. Be like Wayne Brady, and I I totally agree. Think of something smarter to say. It sounds very lowbrow and Raise the bar. Yeah. Give me something interesting. That's your T-Report. I got more coming up next hour. Well, next up on the show, what is chickenflation and how it could impact how you eat chicken? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Apparently, we're going through a chickenflation, an inflation of chicken costs, leading many to wonder, are you going to ditch buying chicken because it's getting more and more expensive? I'm gonna I'm gonna ask that to you since you are the chicken eater. Well, you and producer Vanessa are the chicken eaters. I 
don't know why everyone is assuming that I eat chicken all of a sudden. Except that you just ate it right before the show. There there seems like there's some racial (laughs) undertones here, guys. No racial undertones. (laughs) What's next? I'm eating watermelon as well. (laughs) Actually, in your (laughs) (laughs) life. Okay, so no. You know, chicken is great. Um, You think I'm not supposed to eat chicken? What am I, what, what's the so question? So here's what's happening. Chicken wing prices are surging. And there's mass wing shortages happening, too. And all, overall, chicken industry insiders are saying that this is happening because there's underperforming roosters. The roosters wow. aren't doing it well. And leading to, um, you know... Uh, are you sex-shaming the roosters? <laughs> basically, supposedly, according to this article, they invested in a new rooster breed that is not meeting expectations, meaning they aren't fertilizing enough eggs to make enough chickens mm. to meet an industry demand. And so Those now there's a, a lot of pressure. On there's them. a decrease of chickens around or meat. And so a lot of the meat alternatives are taking advantage of this. So there's a plant-based alternative called Chick-N, like C-H-I-K apostrophe N. And they're saying for every amount of money that increases to buy chicken because of the lack of chicken, right, the scarcity, they're going to, like, give you the alternative for cheaper. So, like, they're using this as a marketing tactic. But basically, do you think if chicken becomes more expensive, you'd be willing to ditch it and just go plant-based or vegetarian? You know what? I, I don't know if it's just because I live in Los Angeles, but I'm tired of all these vegans and plant-based folks forcing it in my face. It's not a force. This is just... It, this is about practical Chicken's budgets. Chicken's always going to be around. I'm, for I, you to true. eat, not even for their own survival. I, you know what? It's called the circle of life. Did anyone watch Lion King? When, you know, Mufasa told Simba about the chains of the and the world and, and how it's a circle of life. There's literally a song called the circle of life. And, you know, sometimes something's got to get eaten. And chicken for me, you know, is delicious. I don't really eat red meat or anything anymore, to be quite honest. It's kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, chicken is something that I, I do enjoy. I don't know if we would ever go all plant-based. I've I've tried. I even said I, at one point that I want to raise my future kids, whenever that happens, at plant-based. Or like vegetarian oh. or something, you know? And kind of make meat be kind of like their little treat kind of thing, you know? Yeah, it's like a once in a while Not take thing. it out of their, their complete diet, but make it like a treat situation. So who knows? I I do think it's interesting. We really should be having more of a conversation about, you know, livestock and, and having, and not fertilizing and, and shooting them up with steroids to make them do certain weird things. Like, because that's all impacting our bodies when we're eating it. Like, I totally believe that. Oh, yeah. Um, But no, I ain't giving up no chicken. Well, Get look at this. Life. Not when Popeye's just came up with chicken nuggets. Well, 150 per pound to be- between three and four dollars. That's a big increase. Yeah. What if that Popeye sandwich is twenty dollars? Are you gonna eat it? it, it haven't you gone to Chick, uh, Chipotle? And it's <laughs> it's also twenty dollars no, a bowl now. But it's, every time you have a chicken sandwich, twenty dollars. Why are $20? you asking? Ask Shira. I'm asking you because Shira is the vegan. <laughs> I'm Ryan not Ryan likes that. the chicken. I like the Although chicken. Although today I had a breakfast I feel burrito. Pointed. I had a breakfast burrito today in LA with okay. tax. It's uh, it was seven, almost eighteen dollars for a breakfast. See, burrito. and let's talk about the breakfast burrito since we're talking about chickens and eggs. You probably had all types of eggs in your breakfast burrito. I did, uh, have an egg. Exactly, eggs I are don't all a usually part of our eat lives. It, but it's here not just and there. chickens. I know, but eggs are not increasing in prices. The chicken. You don't know that. 
Uh, it's based on this. I mean, what the we're talking I'm about chicken at. right now. We're not talking Don't try about to eggs. twist the story. Either way, I do think there is an inflation of all food products. Chicken is delicious. I don't want to pay like you know twenty dollars or something more to just have a chicken sandwich, but it's what happens. It's the circle of life, unfortunately. Yeah, getting more and more expensive. Yeah, the it's cost awful. of doing things to animals. Okay. Um. Are you preaching now? Let us know what you think. At LGT Show, would you ditch the chicken for an alternative? If it got too expensive, let us know. Whatever. Next up, how to enjoy the party with drunk friends when you're the sober one. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As the world opens back up, being newly sober can be challenging. So how do you navigate keeping it up and partying with your non-sober friends? Well, T joins us, who's a writer for Mike and a yoga teacher who wrote about this very topic. Thanks for being here today. Thanks. So how did you navigate this as things were opening up and you were also playing around with your sobriety? Well, I mean, in terms of, I feel like the biggest thing that people are scared about when they go back into the world as a sober person is that people are going to really pressure them to drink or use drugs. And my my experience is is that that's really not true. Hmm. For the most part, if you tell people that you don't want to drink or you don't want to use or whatever, they really respect it. So in terms of like navigating it socially, it isn't actually as complicated as I think a lot of people fear that it's going to be. Yeah, and I think what's really interesting, we had a conversation earlier in the show kind of about the word or the term California sober. And we've heard Mm -hmm. it from like Demi Lovato, now The Weeknd, saying that, yeah, I'm sober from hard drugs, but I still kind of dabble here and there. And I know it can be very complicated on how people who are, you know, working towards their sobriety are in their sobriety. Um, And I always just wondered, is does that feel weird? Um, to for people to kind of say, oh, I'm California sober. Like, what does that really mean? And how does that kind of really impact the, the I don't know, the community of it all? Because I, it just feels weird. Like, it could, it could be a slap in the face to someone who's taking, like, sobriety full on. Like, they're straight edge. And they're like, oh, my goodness, this is my sobriety. And it just feels weird for people to say, oh, well, I still do everything else but the this. Like, the stipulations of it all. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because I personally, um, I don't call myself California sober, but I practice something that's similar, which is non-abstinent sobriety. So I'm sort of like sober at some moments and not at others. But I think that um, the sobriety communities that I've spoken with are really divided on this issue. You know, some of them are just sort of like, you're either sober or you're not sober and you have to pick, you know, um, personally, I think that every, the way that everybody chooses to navigate navigate their substance use is personal, mm-hmm. and I don't really care what you call it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, do you think we're going to be having more and more of those conversations as we're speaking up about mental health more and getting more vulnerable about where we're each at? Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I have learned both as a person who's uh, having an adventure in sobriety and also in substance use um, is that people are really curious about what it's like to live as a 
sober person. I mean, the biggest response that I ha- that I get, honestly, to admitting that I'm sober or that I don't use certain things or whatever is a, it's sort of envy. You know, like a lot of people seem to feel like they wish they could do that. You know, so I think that we might see more people moving towards that in the future. When did sobriety kind of... Uh when did sobriety kind of be put on the spectrum, it seems like? Because it kind of sounds like the way you described it, it there's this like new spectrum where it, it's sobriety's kind of fluid in a way? I mean, that's sort of how I feel about it. I feel about it the way I feel about my gender and my sexuality, that, like, you know, some days it's here, some days it's there. That is my personal experience of gender and sexuality and also substances. Mm. Do you think for those who actually um, really have uh, an addiction that can create a, a gateway or a scapegoat to continue using things like that could not maybe necessarily help them? Or how do we find that balance between folks like you seem to be able to make those choices and decisions compared to others who literally, if they start doing one thing, it just leads to them falling off the wagon. And that could also be assumed as an assumption, too. Yeah, I think there's a really big difference between people who are having a real substance misuse disorder, as it's generally called these days, and somebody who's just like maybe taking too much or more than they would like or more than they're comfortable with, right? Um, And if you are having addiction issues, then experimenting with moderated sobriety or like a little of this, a little of that is generally not recommended. And in my first days as a, as a sober person, when I was trying to actually kick drugs, I couldn't take anything at all. I couldn't use anything at all. I couldn't even have too much coffee. You know what I mean? So I think that it is like the approach of like moderation and Cali sober and all of these sort of different, like a little of that, this, a little of that approaches are for people who already have some degree of control over their substance use experience. Yep. Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, definitely agree on that. Well, thank you for being here. And again, that was T. Writer for Mike and a yoga teacher. Check out their piece about this, How to Stay Sober When Everyone's Desperate to Party on Mike.com. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. Thanks so much. Have a great night. Next up, would you ditch visiting your family to go on a vacation? The debate many are currently having. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As everything is opening up and, you know, we haven't been able to travel for a long time, a lot of people are being stuck with the decision of whether to go on vacation, the vacations they want to go on, whether alone, with a partner, with friends, or go to see their family. And some people are deciding to ditch their family for their own vacation. But the question is, what is the right decision to make? Have you thought about this, Ryan? Is this something that you've been going through? Um, well, recently, my mom has been wanting to plan a vacation together. Because oh. while we haven't been on a vacation, I mean, it's probably been about like seven or eight years together. Well, you haven't even seen each other since, what, 2019? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, um, she wants to plan something. But for me, I want to go on my own solo vacation before I go on a vacation with her. Because I just want that experience. And also, like... I want to be able to have a glass of wine when I go to dinner. Or I want to you be can't able... do that with your mom. No. Oh, my mom is a church lady. That's People not don't drink at church. 
No, Sheer. They may drink at the Shabbat or what? Shabbat. The, the Shabbat, yeah. But they're not drinking at, at no church, no. I told my mom I have a glass of wine and she wanted to check me into rehab, you know? Like, it's it's that type of thing. And so I just know we probably vacation differently, and I can see that. Yeah. I think my mom thinks we're going to go on a vacation. It's going to be like I was seven again and we're going to aquariums and museums. And I'm not doing that. I want to lounge. I want to relax. I want to get massages. Like, I want to have a glass of wine, a bottle of wine, three cocktails. Three bottles. You, <laughs> you know? And I just, I'm just, I'm hesitant of, like, going on vacation with her. But yeah, then what Sounds if like this, work. What if it could rebuild your relationship? Like, imagine now you discover this new side of your mom. You guys are drinking it up. My mom's not going to drink. fun. Okay. I get that. I get that. I, right now, what I'm going through is I would have loved to maybe go somewhere for New Year's. But once again, internationally, things are constantly changing with COVID. But my dad wants me to be with the family for Christmas and New Year's. So I've made the decision this year specifically saying, like, I give you this one. But the next round, next year, I'm going to do my do own thing. you do Thanksgiving with him? Oh, I'm Canadian. We don't do Thanksgiving. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there is a, a Canadian Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, it's not... It's, yeah, it's not as big as it is here. Oh. It's not as intense. Anyway. So you're going to give them... I think it's, I, it's I a give, or t- give and take. I understand giving them Christmas, but New Year's? It's all no together, way, though. It's so close. No way. No, it's not. You can literally at, leave after Christmas and then go um, go somewhere else for New Year's. So here, and we, we got to wrap things up, but here's the rationale I, I have is like, yes, I feel like this time has made us realize, like, one, don't take the people close to you for granted, including your family. And like, you don't never know what's going to happen. Right. So I do want to see my family. I want to prioritize that. Um, and then but be you and your able to figure close, it out. Though. Yeah. And if your family's not close, there's the answer. Yeah. So that's why I'm like <laughs> making it easy for I just, you. I just think, you know, it's okay if you want to, if you don't like for me, like I'm not, I'm not that my, the first thing I'm not doing is like, um, calling up my mom to be like, let's go on vacation. Like, I'm not doing that. Well, let us know what you think. What are you m- deciding to do? At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Slide into our DMs. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with some inspiration. Our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yeah. Yes, Queen. So this is something we don't see a lot. Qatar's Mutaz Essa Barshim and Italy's Gianmarco Tamberi both landed their high jumps at 2.37 meters. So they basically had a tie. And instead of them doing, what's it called when you do a, a tiebreaker? Yeah, a tiebreaker. <laughs> they decided they were going to share the gold medal. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I saw this video and everyone was so excited. It was beautiful. Because my thing is, if you have the opportunity, I've never even witnessed something like this happen at the Olympics, but I don't watch the Olympics that much. But when you have the opportunity to be like, can we just both be gold? Yeah, what's what? why not? You're still going home to your countries with a gold medal. Like, that's brilliant. Yeah, I just love how they did that for each other, right? Instead of saying like, no, I got to win, right? Because... People tend to do that to prove something to themselves and their country. So this is just a great, great um, show of sportsmanship. Yeah, and also shout out to Simone Biles for winning the bronze on her beam challenge Mm -hmm. because, you know, she's been going through a lot. And I think her to still pull out a medal is iconic. It is. Well, is bronze third place or mm -hmm. is that silver? Gold, silver, bronze. Oh, bronze is prettier, to be honest. 
Hey. It is. Go. It's a pretty color. We need a little bit of, um, what's that, pink gold? Rose gold? Rose gold. <laughs> what? I feel like sometimes I just, I'm not. <laughs> well, guess what? I don't I'm know here. my jewelry. I am here for you to always it. be your third brain. <laughs> well, that does it for our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yeah. As Queen. And our show today, but we are back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern, here, here live on Channel Q. On tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about sex selection, what it is and how it could impact the future of gender. And a political scientist is here to share what a Trump endorsement really does for a candidate. Does it help or hurt them? They've got the answers on tomorrow's show. And if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So you can catch up on our show as a podcast. Go to the Odyssey app or where other podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's talking about what it's like to be in a polyamorous relationship that's next. Mm. Bye, y'all. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey.